When you picture the city of tomorrow, what do you see? Flying cars, commuters on jetpacks, litter-picking robots, even buildings that talk to each other. By 2050, 68% of us are going to be living in cities. So we need technological solutions to the increased pressure that will put on infrastructure. And we need new innovations that can help make life better for those of us in urban areas. A lot of people are like, what? Really big houses? I never heard of this. It should be like a science fiction or something like that. There's not a lack of money or technology, but maybe a lack of imagination, how we want our future world to look like. It's weird that we, we don't really talk about the future that much anymore. This time on Future Lab, the podcast brought to you by Randox and the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Join me, Lucy Johnston, for a look at two technologies that could address major challenges in our cities, from building greener, low-cost housing to cleaning the very air we breathe. The human population is growing, with an additional 2 billion of us needing places to live over the next 30 years. So we desperately need more housing. But there's a problem. The problem is that we have a huge labour shortage today. So, for example, in the United States, it's more than 400,000 unfilled positions in the construction industry. This is Anna Chen Yuntai, CEO and co-founder of Apis Core a company aiming to change the way we build. So the construction uh, companies, they simply cannot find people and, and labor to build houses they need. But demand is so huge, demand is insane. So we see that the, the, there is a huge gap between how actually we, we, we have to build and how actually we're able to build using the uh, modern uh, technologies. Because the way how houses built today, it's so really outdated because basically we have lots of different materials like bricks, for example, or wood sticks. And we just build it, assemble them together using the nails and all of the other tools and materials. And we have a lot of waste and you also use a lot of labor. We can really disrupt the way we build uh, houses because it's never been like it really changed for years, for hundreds of years. And the way they want to do that is through 3D printing. So we are the company that develops the advanced uh, robots and materials to 3D print full-scale houses directly on site. So basically, it's not like the small houses or like the prototypes. It's actual houses 3D printed with the durable material like concrete. Apis Core currently holds the world record for the biggest 3D printed building. 31 feet tall, so it's like about 10 meters tall. And the total square area is the 6,400 square feet. But long before she was breaking world records, Anna was a small child with big dreams. Uh, because I was always interested in, in being an entrepreneur. Actually, my mom, she was the, the entrepreneur. And uh, even my grandmother, she also did some like a small business. 
And I just saw them, how they do everything. I was like, oh, that's so cool. You really can, like, uh, you control your schedule and you do all of this interesting stuff. And I was like, I want to be the same cool as my mom, you know, like have a very nice car, <laughs> uh, talking with the different people, do all of this. And uh, this is why I, th I, I thought of like, you know, whenever I do, I just want to work for myself. She didn't know exactly what she wanted to focus on as an entrepreneur, so she went to study physics at university. During I was uh, at the university, I was constantly trying to figure out what would be my uh, venture as an entrepreneur, right? And uh, when I were graduating, like one year before graduation, I met my future co-founder, Nick, and we actually, the two co-founders, Episcore today. But that time he was uh, doing the, his own business by building the industrial machinery, robots. They began working together on a specialized robotic solutions business. And soon they scored an enormous gig. We secured the large uh, contract for Olympic Games, basically to install the ground navigation system for millions of visitors of Olympic Games. They were commissioned to make all of the signage for the 2014 Winter Olympics. So basically we were responsible for million people coming to the Olympic Games and be responsible to not get them lost. <laughs> because if we did something wrong, million of people was like, you know, freaking out, like, oh my God, where are the ATM, where are the stadium, where should I go? And so that was really like high responsibility. This experience provided a valuable window into the construction industry and what needed to change. We also saw how the outdated the construction industry was because we were delayed or like uh, behind the schedule many times because the, I don't know, the contractor or the construction company, they couldn't really deliver the construction on site because of the labor shortage. So we just saw like, oh my God, it's so like, uh, it's done with this so low efficiency. It can be done really like much better. If there aren't enough people to help with construction, perhaps we can use technology to fill the gaps. So uh, we realized that the robots can be introduced in the construction process because we all know that robots, it's how to increase productivity, do something faster with the constant quality and better quality, and you can control the quality all the time. And so this is how we decided that, yeah, 3D printing technology, it's something that concrete 3D printing technology is something that really can be introduced. 3D printing, also known as additive manufacturing, is where you build up materials in subsequent layers. And so Anna and her co-founder set up their new company, Apis Core, taking their inspiration from nature's very own 3D printer. So basically, Apis, it's mean honeybee from Latin. They actually the first who applied extrusion to build their homes. And so this is how we actually get inspired. So, okay, bees are the true innovators in, <laughs> in the construction 3D printing. So let's just uh, use them as an inspiration for our name. Their first task was creating a 3D printer that could work at such big scales. And he designed and basically invented the absolutely new kind of machine for the to 3D print houses. 
It's kind of the same as you would 3D print something like a small on your desktop 3D printer. But instead of uh, plastic, we use durable, strong concrete material. And instead of like a desktop small box, right, as a printer, we use a little bit larger machine. And in our case, it's really, the machine looks like uh, the robotics arm, I would say. So here's how it works. They take along their 3D printing robots to the construction site and get them set up with the raw materials. And it's completely movable, so you, it's basically mounted on the continuous tracks. So you just only need to have a joystick and you can remotely operate the, the printer. So the concrete slab is done traditionally and it's basically the starting point to start printing house. And then the machine deployed on the concrete slab, you do the simple calibrations. And then once you completed the printing the wall structures, you can install the reinforcement because the infill of the 3D print walls has the cavities, right? And these cavities, they can be filled with the regular concrete and the rebar. And even if you want to have a hurricane-resistant house, you still can do this with a 3D printed house because you can follow the existing building codes and requirements. And so once the walls are done, uh, you install the uh, roof, Today, still in a traditional way. And then you install the windows, mechanical, like plumbing, do all of the interior finishes. You can look up videos online of this in practice. It's kind of like watching someone ice a cake. Only the icing is cement, the baker is a robot, and the cake is a house. All of the people who really see it uh, in real time, in person, they say, yeah, that's so satisfying. It's really like very smooth and... Uh, pretty, look very satisfying. Future Lab is brought to you by Randox. Over the course of the series, we have been exploring various health tests available at Randox Health, the side of Randox that gives individuals actionable insights into their own health status. Randox Health offers both in-clinic and at-home tests covering a range of medical conditions. One such condition is hemochromatosis, or the Celtic curse, given its prevalence amongst those of Irish, Scottish and Welsh descent. Hemochromatosis is an inherited condition characterised by the build-up of iron in the body. Individuals with hemochromatosis absorb too much iron, leading to accumulations in organs and tissues, including the liver, heart, hormone-producing glands, and skin. When hemochromatosis goes unchecked, the disease can cause complications such as liver disease, arthritis, diabetes, and heart disease. The disease rarely causes symptoms in its early stages, but when diagnosed and treated early, complications can easily be prevented. Randox recognise that silent sufferers can be diagnosed earlier and take action to prevent the consequences of their illness. We'll get to hear more about how Randox is working to screen for mutations in the gene that causes hemochromatosis in a little while. But for now, back to the Future Lab podcast. Three D printing can have a lot of advantages over traditional methods. Construction is hugely wasteful, creating roughly a third of the world's waste. By calculating and printing out materials at the exact size and shape you need, 
you can cut this down enormously. So it comes from the entire concept of the additive manufacturing in general, because you can just create the shape of an object by adding as much material as you need and you create the shape. Then there's the reduced need for human labor, which should lower building times and expense. So if we apply the additive manufacturing process and robotics process, right, uh, basically reducing the amount of labor we need, uh, we can fill this gap with the robots, right? And the main thing that I would really like to stress out is that by introducing robots and 3D printing technology in the construction industry, we don't take someone's job because it's still a lot of <laughs> work that uh, will be enough for people and for robots. And robots basically help us to build more houses because, again, the gap is huge. And 3D printing can be flexible, meaning you can create unusual shapes and designs that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Plus, robotics means those designs are manufactured very precisely every time. You can build houses with the better quality because basically the machinery accuracy and the quality is the same all the time. So you all the time you know what you're going to get. So it's a huge area for the architecture ideas and, uh, you know, how to really build something. Really, not like just the the square boxes, right? So we still can build even like something looks more attractive and nicer, but it's not going to be just uh, crazy expensive and available only for the, somebody who has money. While they're using a material very similar to concrete, which currently causes 8% of global carbon emissions, they hope to replace it with something more environmentally friendly in the near future. And the next step when we really like our main focus is how to transition to the uh, eco-friendly and uh, environmentally friendly materials. And the, one of the solutions for this is the geopolymer material. So geopolymer material is uh, it basically stronger than the concrete. And we already tested it. It was used in the past, but then like a regular concrete kind of like won the market, I would say. And so our plan is to transition to this type of materials in the future. But really, you could use anything to print your house. Clay, even just like at the ground with water, for example, right? Anything or mud with water. Yes, you can do this. You can even use the sore cream, for example, right? <laughs> and just... <laughs> so you really can extrude with anything. But the question is how the durable and strong the material is going to be, right? How the durable the structure is going to be? Because we're dealing with the, with the houses, right? Anna sees this technology being used across construction, from deluxe homes to affordable housing. Today, we have the technology that can... 3D print houses up to two, three floors. For the skyscrapers, it's kind of different method of construction in general. So it's like the different technology challenge, how to create the robot that can be used there. Uh, but let's see what's gonna be in five years. And 3D printing will even open up extraterrestrial construction opportunities. Robots are basically the, the first who go into arrive on the moon and Mars and build the structure for people coming there. 
and with the additive manufacturing process, you can actually build some part of the infrastructure. NASA actually has a plan how to build the entire infrastructure on Moon, for example. So it's basically the roads, the launch pads where the rocket is going to land, right? And uh, so, yeah, we kind of like allocate some tiny portion of our resources to slowly moving in that direction. And maybe someday we're going to print something. First building on Moon or Mars. Let's see. <laughs> but there are plenty of things to keep Anna busy here on Earth for the moment. Today, kind of the challenge that we have is the, to scale the technology. So to get more printers, right? Because demand is huge. We just need to produce printers faster. Our main uh, priority right now is like Earth. Even in the time since APIS Core was founded, Anna has seen a step change in how much 3D printing has accomplished and how much people believe is possible. Because we started pretty early when the industry and this idea of the 3D printed houses was really just in the beginning. A lot of people are like, what? 3D printed houses? I never heard of this. It should be like a science fiction or something like that. And I would say that the maybe two years ago, the industry started kind of really breaking the boundaries. So today it's so, so active. And I think today it's really like when you can say like, yes, 3D printed houses is here to stay. It's just the question of time. That's real thing. Future Lab is brought to you by Randox. Earlier, we described a hereditary condition known as hemochromatosis, which involves a surplus of iron in the body. Iron is an essential mineral and a key component of hemoglobin, the oxygen-carrying protein found in red blood cells. However, too much of it can cause vague, non-specific symptoms like fatigue, joint pain, abdominal pain, fertility issues, and more. Hemochromatosis can be diagnosed from a simple blood test that looks at protein levels which indicate how iron is being stored and moved in the blood. Over 95% of those living with hemochromatosis have a mutation in the HFE gene, and as many as 1 in 10 people in the UK and Ireland carry a defective copy of the gene. Randox Health recognizes the need for early diagnosis and so provides key tests for identification of iron overload and genetic testing. Once an individual is confirmed to be a carrier of the gene, it's advised their family is screened as well. Thankfully, treatment is simple. All it requires is regular blood donation to reduce iron stores in the body so once normalized, all a patient needs is regular monitoring. If you suspect you might be a carrier for the HFE gene or want to learn more about how you or your family can be screened for hemochromatosis, please visit randoxhealth.com for more information. We just heard about 3D printed houses that could be coming to a street near you. But what about the space outside those houses? As cities continue to become denser, a huge problem is building up. Right now, the cities are sort of machines that are, are just trying to harm us. Like 17 cigarettes per day that you passively inhale if you live in a medium-sized modern city because of the air pollution. That's not smart in any kind of way. 
So these have become brutal environments, which where, where clean air, clean water, clean energy, clean space are completely absent in a way. And so that's sort of weird. This is Dan Roseharde, an inventor and artist from the Netherlands. So as a boy, that's what I did. Eh? I started to explore. I, I always went outside, never inside, building tree huts, playing with nature. I'm from the Netherlands, eh? so we, we live under sea level. So we're fighting with nature, we're learning with nature, we're living with nature. So that kind of relationship with, with nature in my environment has always been a, an important yeah, factor. Dan spends his time imagining a better world and designing ways to help get us there. Sometimes people ask me, how do you know if something is a good idea, right, in the beginning? And it's very interesting because um, the answer is very simple. Um, you don't. <laughs> you don't know if it's a good idea. An estimated 4.5 million people died prematurely in 2019 from outdoor air pollution. I see climate change or the climate crisis is, is bad design, <laughs> is unconscious design. And so the only thing we can really do is say, let's design, let's engineer our way out of it. And so the idea to build the largest smog vacuum cleaner in the world, which sucks up polluted air, cleans it and makes these clean air parks, comes from there. When the city becomes a machine that, that harms you, let's build machines that help you, right? And use technology to, to give something super important, which is clean air. Dan first had the idea to clean up city air when he was in Beijing six years ago. Being in my room and, and seeing the city alive and kicking, and the next day, I couldn't even see the other side of the street because of the pollution. So it became very physical. It became a sort of veil or sort of bubble of polluted air that, that, that you were in and there was no escape. You know, like, I mean, even inside, it, it, it went through the, all the filter systems, etc. Sad, you know, a sad reality in a way. But Dan got thinking, maybe there was a way to fix it. So I remember being a boy playing with, with balloons. When you polish them with your hands, they become static, static electrified. So I was thinking two days later under the shower, can we not use that kind of principle to suck up polluted air, clean it and release it? And from there we started to build it. So he got a team of experts together, explained the challenge and set everyone to work. You create an, uh, an artist impression or a simulation which captures that vision. And so I just started to sketch and I made one image uh, which showed a sort of tower sucking up polluted air, cleaning it and then releasing a sort of clean air and creating this sort of bubble in a grass field. And it was, it was an artist impression uh, unhindered by any kind of knowledge. And, and then you create a team of designers, engineers, project managers, uh, you know, air quality experts. And uh, you put it on the table and you say, well, I'm not sure what it is yet, but it has to be ready in six months. Go, you know, let's go. And together, they came up with a design. It's basically the largest smog vacuum cleaner in the world. It sucks up polluted air from the top, cleans it with positive ionization, so it doesn't have filter system. It's just on electricity that we can get from a solar panel. It's like a 1200 watts. You run air through a high voltage area. You charge the, the particles. These are particles smaller than your hair, 40 times smaller than your hair. So you cannot see, smell, taste or feel them. But they are there. They get really deep into your body. So the, the tech is focused on that. And because they sort of, you know, the simplest way is you sort of charge them. Therefore, they become positive. Then you have a negatively charged surface. And it's like, wow. And that is, in my opinion, the only way to clean large 
volumes of air in a safe, fast, low energy way. Cleans the size of a soccer stadium in, in a short time and uh, releases the clean air and therefore you can have parks which are depending on humidity and type of pollution and weather and of course flow of people etc uh, between 20 to 70 percent more clean than the rest of the city so you got to design the tower uh, but you also got to design the landscape eh? basically you're designing the thermodynamics the airflow of that of that environment so surrounding it by trees or buildings create a sort of more static environment right then a lot of wind that really helps as well and people can go there and hang out for free and, and yeah, be less polluted and, and enjoy the beauty of, of clean air. Yeah. So it's a sort of an oasis in those uh, heavy polluted cities. They've done proper tests around the towers and have shown the air surrounding them is much cleaner. But Dan also has a less scientific way of showing how well it works. You know, it's a very simple test and completely scientifically not validated. But if you have a laser pointer, right? Like a, like a clicker for a keynote, it has a laser pointer, you know, it's like, and you know, it's very simple. Like when I just, you know, hold it horizontally and I put it on, I could see in the surrounding area, the green laser line, but then when it came closer to the tower, it just disappeared yeah, because it has, didn't have the particles to, to be projected on. But what to do with all those microscopic grains of carbon pollution? Ever the artist, Dan thought they could have a second life. And so once every six months or 12 months, you open the tower and you see that in the movie, it opens. And like a drawer, you open up and you just vacuum it. But then it's already compressed together in such a way that it's not the fine particles, the fine dust, which is so harmful. Uh, it just becomes a sort of, how do you say? Yeah, almost like sand. And we realize this is sort of interesting because it's disgusting, but also beautiful. 48% is carbon. Carbon under high pressure, you get diamonds, right? We, we all know that. What if we would make smog-free rings, smog-free jewelry from those collected uh, small particles? And that's what we did. Wedding couples still purchase it to get married. The funding we make with the jewelry helps to build more smog-free towers. So the waste actually becomes an activator to do more. And what is interesting as well, and of course, we became a little bit geeky in that, um, pollution everywhere is different, like water. Or sand is different in New York than in LA, than in Boston, than in Paris, or than in London, right? So, so it was very interesting to see different types of pollution. They look different, they, they taste different, like a smoke-free ring, Beijing, Rotterdam, Korea. And, and they all have a different shape uh, because some cities pollute more than others and different color. So yeah, it's, it got its own aesthetics in a way, which was sort of cynical but beautiful at the same time. Yeah, I like that. To Dan's surprise and delight, this pollution-based jewellery is proving really popular, which helps fund them to build more towers. I was hoping for it, but I never imagined that would actually happen. And there were so many, you know, people calling, and, you know, New York Times wrote about it. It became like a thing. And it was really, you know, people say, yeah, we want to be part of the solution, not just part of the problem. I think that is the true power, so to speak of a project like that, that it activates people to be more engaged with, with their own world, with their own future. While these towers on their own aren't enough to clean up the urban environment, each structure provides a small oasis of clean air. And Dan hopes that inspires more ideas and investment to help desmog our cities. There's not a lack of, of money or, or technology, but maybe a lack of imagination how we want our future world to look like. 
And that's a problem because if we cannot imagine the better future, we cannot create it. So we don't know how that future will look like. But we know values like clean air, clean water, clean energy, clean space, creativity should be part of its DNA in order to be future-proof. And I think if everybody sees him or herself as a crew, eh? not as a passenger on planet Earth, if I may quote Buckman as the fuller, you get a whole different ball game. Uh, yeah, we can. Okay, let's just build and launch it and then hope somebody, you know, picks it up and invests in it and helps us to grow. So when we think of our cities of tomorrow, with their flying cars, smart buildings and jetpacks, Dan hopes that we'll also make sure that our vision includes the things we take for granted, like green spaces and clean air. But don't worry, flying cars are coming too. You'll just have to wait for another episode to hear about them. You've been listening to Future Lab, the podcast brought to you by Randox and the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Don't forget to rate and follow the podcast wherever you listen. Thanks very much to Dan Rosaharda and Anna Chenyuntai. And thank you for listening. I'm Lucy Johnston. See you next time. <laughs>